Well, good morning, church. And uh, happy new year, almost. Billy just said to me, happy old year. Am I on? Can you guys hear me all right? Okay, let's go to this. I'll, I'll put this mic on while we uh, work on the, on the other one. Well, this, this uh, year, we're going to be continuing in our exposition of John, but the elders felt it would be a, um, a, a, an apt uh, use of the first two Sundays as we walk into a new year together to talk about membership mattering and, and what that means. And, and so we're going to kind of get into that. And I'm, I, I'd like to start this message with a resolution. Um, I, I hope that uh, you are looking into the new year and making godly and attainable New Year's resolutions, okay? Maybe not, you know, I'm going to do a thousand push-ups a day if that's really not something that you intend to do. But uh, I want to start with a resolution and I want to finish part two with an argument uh, about um, why membership matters. But let's start with the resolution. That's our first point this morning. And uh, Chris, if you just um, give me kind of a thumbs up when I need to, when I need to, oh, let's, let's try putting this on here. I got mute and unmute. Okay, well, you know what? I'm a bit of a Luddite here. Let's see here if I can figure this thing out. All right. Yep, the on button is now on and the red light's on. Hey, hey, we're in business. Okay. Well, we want to start with a resolution um, that, that I believe is God-glorifying and, and I pray attainable for us all, and that is to follow Jesus together. Uh, let's do this together. And a few months ago, back when we were going, actually it might have been a year ago, back when we were going through the book of Hebrews, we spent some time in this awesome text, and I thought of this as just a, a great way for us to start the new year, and I'm going to kind of fly through it this morning uh, because I do want to get to my argument, um, but let's look at verse 19 and 20, which says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. Now, now remember, Back when Christ died on the cross, when he yielded up his spirit, God himself tore that veil from top to bottom, and he made a way for us to actually have access to him, and so we have access to God personally through Jesus Christ. And not only that, not only do we have access to God, but we have an advocate to God for us in heaven who is interceding, that means praying for us individually right now, and that is Jesus Christ. And so verse 21 says, and since we have a Christ or a great priest, that would be Jesus over the house of God, so then what? How are we going to follow him this year? Well, first, let's draw near to God. Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. This faith is in Christ, his death on the cross for your sins and his resurrection. It's his blood that cleanses us and makes us clean and acceptable to him. This, this faith that Romans chapter 10 talks about in verse 9 that says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
And there's nothing more important for you as you look into this new year than being sure that you actually know God, that you have a personal relationship with God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And I pray that every one of you is trusting in him right now. But if you're not, let today, let this day as you look forward to a new year be the day that you simply yield and, and, and put that trust. All of us are trusting in something. Let, let it be that your faith is in Christ and in him alone. And it might only be a mustard seed of faith, but may it be genuine that you believe that, that you can't get there yourself, but that he died for you in your place to make you righteous before a holy God. The faith that saves, brothers and sisters, and this is for all of us, is a faith that perseveres. It's a faith that endures. And so, second, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And the confession of our hope is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is, is encapsulated in Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us in that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. You might be facing the new year, looking back at this last one, saying, you know what? Not all in my life is right. In fact, I'm disappointed uh, with a sin that I still struggle with. Well, look to Jesus. We endure in faith. We endure in hope by keeping our eyes on Jesus. And whatever you are going through right now, there is great hope if you keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't give up, brothers and sisters. Remember, it is his righteousness that he gives to us, that God looks upon when our faith is simply in Jesus. So now is a great time to look to Christ and to hope in him. Hebrews 12, one through two, uh, what a beautiful verse to think about as we begin this new year. As we were driving to, to, to church this morning, my wife wisely asked us all to share one verse that was on our minds, just to kind of help move our hearts maybe from foolishness and on to Christ. And I thought of Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. that says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight in the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now let me say that only you can draw near to God in faith and endure in hope. I wish I could, but I can't do it for you as your pastor. No, no one can. No, no Christian can believe for you. Now, the church cannot save you through its sacraments, right? Sadly, there are many who simply look to the church for their salvation instead of to Christ for their salvation. We can't do it for you. Ultimately, the sincerity and endurance of your faith is between you and God. But we certainly can encourage one another to keep following Jesus. And that's the third part, and that's what I really want us to focus on this morning, verses 24 through 25. That is, let us stir up one another to love and good works. 
Verse 24 says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. So let's just stop for a moment and think about that. Uh, We can't stir each other up if we're not spending time together, if we're not meeting together. So one of the ways that you can help serve your church is by showing up, by being a part, by being involved in each other's lives. And we'll get to that in a moment. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, now I love this word, encourage. The, the word courage actually comes from a French word, and I'm saying something nice. I've got a few Francophiles in the church who sometimes um, get on my case a little bit for being less than generous towards the French, but here, here is a great word that we get from the French, and it's rooted in the word cour, which means heart. So to have courage is to actually have a heart for something, to have heart. So to lose courage is to lose heart. So the word encourage literally means to give heart or to give courage to another. What a, what a powerful, beautiful word. And so why is this so important that we stir one another up by spending time together and meeting regularly together to worship? Well, the reason this is so important is that Christians are not meant to privately live their faith alone. Did you get that? We're not meant to be alone. We need each other. Uh, You've heard me say this before, but a lone ranger spiritually is a dead ranger. You're not going to make it to the finish line if you isolate yourself spiritually. An isolated Christian is easy pickings for Satan. So if your habit is to just stay home on Sunday morning, maybe you're watching this online, and and there are churches that actually don't live stream anymore after COVID. They did during COVID, and don't do it because they they, they don't want to encourage people to stay in bed, right, and just watch it from their, you know, their living room or, or their bedroom. And, and, and we've chosen to continue because we understand that, that we have, uh, we're in a military community where people travel a lot, and we have others who are fighting uh, diseases and who are, you know, truly shut-ins, and we want to encourage you. We want to give courage to you, and so we thank you if you can't be here, but you are here through modern technology. But if you're just, if you're at home right now with your coffee and a donut, and, and you don't really need to be there, this is for you. Okay, if your habit is to stay home on Sunday morning and maybe just watch church online sometimes, you are an easy picking for the devil because you're choosing to isolate yourself. But you know what? You could show up, you could warm a pew, and you could just keep to yourself, and the same could be true. Or you might even show up and talk to some people on a very surface level, right? And, 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 but never show your heart to anyone, you too could be easy pickings for the devil. Do, do you have a Christian that you share your doubts and, and your sin with and who daily prays for you for victory? You know, all of us need other believers to encourage us in our, in our pursuit of Jesus Christ, to help us process our victories and our failures, to to keep pointing us to Jesus Christ. 
You know, there's a time in which a brother in Christ helped me process my doubts about the exclusive claims of Christianity. And, and, and he didn't believe for me, but his encouragement helped my belief. Does that make sense? That's an important distinction, but it's important. God can use us to, to give courage and to help stoke those fires of faith. And, and, and that's, that's an essential part of the Christian journey in life. We're meant to live the Christian life together. I, I remember years after that uh, experience of, of doubt in my life, I was serving on the mission field, and I started really struggling with the biblical doctrine of hell. And it was actually my father-in-law and my brother-in-law, when I opened up to them about my struggles, being in a place where 99.9999999% of everyone I saw every day was heading to hell, and I felt like all my efforts were a drop in the bucket, they, they helped me see that this doctrine is indeed compatible with a loving and a good God. But I needed their input. I needed to talk this through. And I could have kept my doubts to myself, but doubt stuffed in the closet or swept under the rug, you know what happens? It festers and it grows. It doesn't go away. In fact, it can metastasize into unbelief. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? That's the devil. Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Now, now we often hear this verse and we, um, we often apply it to marriage, and that's quite appropriate, for this is the most intimate and close human relationship. But actually, this could also refer to your best friend. The, the people who are in your inner orbit, the closest inner orbit. And, and so let's stop and, and think about that command and put it positively instead of a negative prohibition. Okay, what it's saying is be sure you are yoked together with a believer. Make sure that there are Christians who are very close in your life. Why? Because our core is our faith. I mean, that, Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian, he is the foundation, and he is far more important than, say, common interests, let's say, whatever they may be, scuba diving, homeschooling, you know, whatever they may be. Jesus Christ, you know, sports teams, Jesus Christ is the core of who you are. And so you've got to be around other people who have that core because all of us all the time are being influenced and influencing those who are around us. Now, don't mishear me. I'm not saying live in a bubble and, and separate yourself from unbelievers. That's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, it tells us to go out and engage lostness, but we're to do it with team, with other believers around, just as Jesus sent out his disciples in twos, and then they came back together and were a band of 12, right? So the operative principle here is that we Christians need one another. And if there's one thing that I hope you will remember from this morning is that we need each other. Every member of the church, therefore, is called to be a minister. And, and so you may think, well, you know, what gifts do I have? I mean, how can I really be a minister? Well, you need to come in here every day, every Sunday, I hope, and, and I hope more than just every Sunday, 
And, and when you show up, I hope you're thinking, who can I encourage? Who, who's, whose faith might I be able to help stir up? Right? Where is there somebody, maybe they're the underdog? Maybe you don't know that. Maybe they seem to be the, you know, Mrs. Success. But maybe they need encouragement. Well, next week we're going to look at Acts 2, 41 through 47 in some detail. And we're going to talk about how we elders hope Rocky members will interact with one another. What, what we hope every member will actually be at Rocky. But for the rest of the sermon, uh, and that's going to be part two, I hope to convince you of the importance of actually joining a local church as a member. So that brings us to our second point this morning, and that is the argument. Now, when I use that word argument, rest assured, um, let, your heart, let your heart not fear. Um, I'm meaning this in an academic way. I don't plan to get up here and beat my chest and, and yell at you, okay? But uh, academically, um, I would like to make the argument that membership matters. Membership matters. And last September, we elders, uh, as we usually do every year, we, we got together for a couple days and we, 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 we prayed through our church. We, we, we prayed for you by name as members. Um, we, we looked at what do we see the, the strengths and the weaknesses and the opportunities and the threats look like in the life of Rocky Bayou Baptist Church. And as we spent time together in prayer, uh, it, it kind of, the, the theme for 2024 distilled down to two words, and that was membership matters. And so the elders asked me if I would uh, start this year off uh, with a short sermon series talking about membership. And so what I would like to do with the rest of this sermon is simply present an argument from the Bible for church membership. Now, if you have recently gone through Discover Rocky, uh, much of what follows is going to be a refreshment for you. Okay, because this, the actual passages we're going to look at, look at together are the same passages that we work through together when we go through, uh, the, actually Robbie has now rearranged our materials to where it's actually the very first Sunday of Discover Rocky. And so we're going to do that, but first let's talk about what do we mean when we say church. So let's talk about the definition of church. Now the word church in English comes from a Greek word, ekklesia, which means assembly or congregation. And so, so that implies a group of people gathering together, a group of believers coming together and being in one place at one time. But it actually comes from two Greek words, ek, which means out or from, and klesi, which means called or summoned. And I think we see this pretty clearly here in 1 Peter 2.9, the idea that we have been called out from the world to be a, a group of people or a congregation for God's glory and honor through Christ. So Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Professor Wayne Grudem defines the church very simply, but I think very effectively, by saying the church is the community of all true believers for all time. That the church is the community 
I love that word, community, of all true believers, and by that he means in Christ, for all time. And so there are two aspects that we need to think about when we use that word church. And the first is the universal church. And what we mean by that is all Christians, all believers in Christ throughout the world and throughout time. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4 through 6 says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called, right? You were called out or summoned out of the world to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, that's one Lord Jesus Christ, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So this principle here is that of first order. There is one body. There is one universal church of all Christians throughout time and throughout space. In other words, throughout all different cultures. We are one if we are in Christ. But there's also a second aspect of church, and that would be the local church. And so this would be believers in Christ who are gathered into a local assembly. And by that, we mean in a specific geographical location and a specific time. And so in Galatians chapter 1, we see Paul addressing uh, the original intended audience of his letter by saying, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Now, Now notice here that The word churches is plural in the original language as well as in its translation into English. If if Paul here meant the universal church as his primary intended audience here, he would have titled it singular, to the church. But he says to the churches. So, So how can the church be plural? Well, because Paul is writing specifically here to a group of local churches that met in the region of Galatia. Right? So here we see the local church being addressed. So let's talk about the extent of membership. When, when we say every um, uh, member a minister, and when we say that, that membership matters, membership of what? What are we talking about here? Well, first of all, we're talking about the universal church. All believers are members of the universal church. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says... For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. He's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or what we call regeneration. And the Holy Spirit takes a dead soul and breathes new life, the life of faith, into that person. That's the baptism he's talking about here, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And so this concept of Uh, all Christians being members of the universal church is very, very important. What this means is that, that African and Asian and Afghan believers are a part of us. And so when they're picked on, that should grieve us right? When when they're growing and when they're full of faith, that should encourage us. We should rejoice when they rejoice. We should weep when they weep. That also means that locally, when when Christians who are worshiping right now at at First Presbyterian Church in Niceville or the church on Bayshore, 
when, when they're worshiping Jesus in a spiritual sense, we are all one body together. Does that make sense? Like we are part of them and they are part of us for we are all members, all true believers are members of the universal church. And so we should never consider ourselves to be in competition with other local churches or any church for that matter. Does that make sense? We need to guard our hearts from that mindset of competition because they are our brothers and sisters. And so therefore we should rejoice when they rejoice. We should weep when they weep. We should root for their growth, for them to honor and and love God in any way we can encourage that we should do. For we are truly one body. But if we are all members of the universal church, why then do we need to join local churches? That's the question, right? And, and some would argue, hey, if I belong to the universal church, that means all Christians are my brothers and sisters, right? I mean, I'm a member of everywhere, of everybody. Why not just float around various local churches because I belong to them all, right? Well, well the short answer to that is that it usually doesn't really work out too well that way, right? It usually doesn't really work out. But I believe that the longer answer is that I believe that we actually see implicitly in the New Testament that all believers are called to be members of a local church. That's the second aspect here, uh, or extent of membership. So all believers are, by definition, from the moment of salvation, members of the universal church, but also all believers are called to be members of a local church. Now, you may challenge me on that and say, okay, where do we see that explicitly in the Bible? Where do we see the Bible teach church membership? So what I'm going to try to do with the rest of the sermon here is actually show you implicitly uh, and actually permeating the New Testament that we do see this concept of believers belonging to and being committed to local churches. And so let me start with Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, we we see the early Christians gathering together in committed relationships to worship. And we're going to actually look in depth at this passage next week because I think there's a lot we can glean from this passage. But but just as an overview, let's look at this together. Acts chapter 2, verse 41 through 47. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. Wow. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were gathered together and had all things in common. Man, that's more than just warming a pew, Right? And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. So so I look forward to diving into that next week. Come back next week, okay? But note one thing from what I just read, and that was this. They knew who belonged to their number, right? They knew who was a part, who was in, who was was part of this group, such that they were very committed to taking care of each other's physical needs 
And they're actually deeply involved in each other's lives, in each other's homes, not just in a, they were in a gathering place, they would meet weekly in the temple, but they were daily in each other's lives and even homes. We're going to get into that next week. But Paul wrote the Corinthians uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 about the need for church discipline. And we're not going to get into all of the, the details of that right now. But I want you, as, as we read these, couple, these, these verses together, I want you to notice here that implicitly underneath all that, there is a clear definition of who was a part of the church and who was not. Who was an insider and who was an outsider in, in, in the context here. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he writes, verse 1, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Later in verse 11, he picks up and he says, but now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of a brother, that would be an insider, if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one, for what I have, or sorry, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is, not the, is it not those inside the church whom you're to judge? God judges those who are outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Now, what we see here is that the Corinthian believers must have had some kind of practice of church membership in order to be able to exclude someone from their fellowship, as Paul here was instructing them. Excluding someone from the church implies that at one time they were included as members by some kind of definition of the church. Putting somebody out of the church because of their unrepentant sin here, as Paul instructs here, implies that there are those who are in the church. And so Paul clearly makes a distinction here. And it's important to, to realize that he's not just talking, when he talks about those who are in or out, he's not just talking about attendance, those who are attending the church, because Paul assumes that those who are, quote, outside the church will, some of them will be in attendance when the church gathers together. And, and we get that if we keep reading in 1 Corinthians. We get to 1 Corinthians 14 when he's talking about a different topic that we're not going to dive into this morning, but he's talking about spiritual gifts and he's talking about tongues and prophesying together. And so what he writes is in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 14, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? Right? So he's, he's implying here, or not even just implying, he's stating that there are people who will come to services who are not insiders but are outsiders. And so there has to be some kind of delineation going on. And he says, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Now, we also see that church membership really is a prerequisite for what we see in the Bible about biblical church leadership. In other words, if you don't have some form of or some process for 
determining who is a member, it's impossible for biblical leaders to do what they're called to do in Hebrews 13, 17. Now, this is a verse that I don't bring out uh, lightly or just to prove a point, right? I actually tremble when I hear this verse. Um, but Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And I say amen to that last point. Uh, and overall, you, you church rock at Rocky really do a good job. We're thankful as, as elders for you. Um, not saying there haven't been times of groaning uh, uh, when there's been cases of sin, but as a whole, you are an encouraging church. And I thank God for you, and I thank you for that fact. But the first part of this verse is important because it, it tells us in leadership that we have a responsibility for which we will be held accountable by God to keep watch over the souls of our flock. And so the question is, well, who is our flock? And the question for, for, for me as a pastor is, I need to know which souls I am accountable to God for. Now, now the Bible tells me in other places that, that I'm accountable to witness to my neighbor, right? Uh, we see that even in, in Ezekiel, this concept of, of, of blood guiltiness. If, if I have a neighbor that I never try to share Jesus with, that's on me. And at some level, God holds me accountable if I've never shared with them. And that's something we all need to remember as we walk into the new year. But specifically here as a pastor, I need to know what souls am I actually held accountable to God for, for their condition? Uh, and is, it, is this all Christians in Niceville or all Christians in Okaloosa County? Anybody who visits the church, who steps in here, am I now accountable to God for their soul? Well, church elders are responsible to shepherd those who have submitted themselves to their care and, and, and their authority spiritually. And the way, the mechanism that we can accomplish this is called church membership. Conversely, we, as a Christian, you need to understand who do you need to submit to according to this passage. If, if you're a Christian and you don't join the local church, must you submit to any man who calls himself a pastor, or any woman for that matter, who calls herself a pastor? I, I hope not. You should submit to godly elders who tremble before the Lord, and, and in a local church where you've joined and committed yourself. Now, Rocky's constitution, I think, um, kind of summarizes all this quite well. And so in, in Article 4, Section 3, it states, and we've got this for the, to, to put up here for you to read, Church membership is a helpful tool for the practical outworking of the covenant relationship between believers. In other words, for the outworking of what already exists with the universal church. This covenant relationship is established when the believers are immersed by the Spirit into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, which we just looked at. Church membership is not the entering into covenant. Rather, the covenant is entered into when faith in Christ is exercised that moment in which you become a part of the universal church. In Christ, believers already belong to one another. Church membership underscores the reality of that relationship and it facilitates its practical outworking. Church membership as a tool 
is helpful and necessary to provide Christ-like watch care over individuals and over the body as a whole. So membership facilitates, A, defining who belongs to our local fellowship. So, so you know who are you responsible to, to look after, and who do we as, as leaders know which souls are we accountable for before God, right? B, knowing who is entitled to the privileges and responsibilities of our local fellowship. Now, I just want to caveat this by saying all are welcome at Rocky, right? We rejoice to see every soul walk through one of our doors to come in and worship, right? Whether you're a Christian from across the country, maybe you just settled in Niceville, um, maybe you don't even know the Lord yet, we are so glad you're here and you will always be welcome to come and worship with us. And there's actually a lot of things that non-members can join us in doing and in ways that they can serve. But to be in any kind of leadership, you've got to be a member here. And the, and the reason for that is if you're going to uh, exercise spiritual leadership, so if you're going to lead us in worship, if you're going to teach uh, uh, an, uh, uh, an adult Bible fellowship, or if you're going to even teach our kids, you've got to be underneath the covering of the, the leadership of the church. And so you do that by agreeing and submitting yourself for membership. Okay, uh, C is providing adequate watch care and shepherding for every individual belonging to us. And that is, again, something that is for all the church to be involved with. And then D, exercising authority and discipline and restoration of the wayward among us. So if, you're, if you are a regular attender at Rocky and you decide to run off with another, uh, uh, another man or woman, right? Um, uh, we're going to still, if we have any opportunity to, to share truth with you, we're going to do it, right? We're going to care for you. But we have a responsibility before God. If you're a member here and you've submitted yourself for, to the watch care of the church, we have a responsibility before God to, to, to go after you and to warn you and say, um, repent, please, from this sin before you destroy your family. And we don't want to see your soul destroyed eternally. We have a call, we have a responsibility before God to, to come after you. That's what church discipline is. It's all about restoration. Well, maybe I have convinced you, maybe you are a regular uh, attender, maybe you've been here for a good while, maybe this is your first Sunday, right? And, and maybe you say, sign me up, how do we become a member? What's the process? Well, it's actually pretty simple. The, the first is we ask all prospective members to attend our Discover Rocky class. And by that, we don't, uh, there's no obligation. Um, if, if you, it may be that there's another church in the area, another local church, that would be a better fit for you theologically even. Right, and we would bless that. But this is an opportunity for you to learn more about our church. That's the, so the door is to attend a Discover Rocky class. And so Robbie, I think our next one starts in a couple weeks. January the 21st, okay, so three weeks time. Um, so the next Discover Rocky class you can sign up for, you can go on our website and there's a link uh, that should get you there. You can email Robbie, his email address is on the back of the, uh, the bulletin you got. Uh, or you can talk to him or talk to me and we'll, we'll get you signed up. After you have gone through the Discover Rocky class, if you're interested in church membership, we would uh, set up a conversation with an elder. And this is an opportunity, not, it's not an inquisition, but it's an opportunity for you to have an interview. Um, I don't mind that word. But what that is is a chance for the elder to answer questions you have, but to also hear your testimony, that you are walking with Jesus Christ, that, that, that he has saved you from your sins, that your faith is in him alone, 
and it may be very simple, but we want to give you a chance to verbalize that you are indeed a Christian. Because when you join the church as a member, what we're saying is, hey, look world, look church family, this is what a Christian looks like. Does that make sense? Um, There's also an opportunity, you may have some deep spiritual questions or theological questions, uh, or just questions about how our church does business. So this is an opportunity for, for you to talk with an elder. And then finally, you would sign what we call our yellow cards. But this is uh, very important. This is the statement of faith and commitment. This is your commitment to the church. And this is what you're saying. By the grace of God and through repentance from sin and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I am a believer and follower of him. I have been baptized as a believer in Christ and am committed to obey him. I seek membership in Rocky Bayou Baptist Church and commit to this church body to regularly join in gathered worship, to grow in discipleship, to receive watch care, to serve in church ministry, to give faithfully to the Lord through the church, and to pray for RBBC. This is the commitment. And as you can see, uh, we're asking, we're not, we're not asking for just people to come and, and warm pews. We're asking for people to come in and minister among us and to us. Now, our membership process is simply our best attempt to obey biblical commands in the context of our culture. And I would say this, and the last part's important. It may look differently in different places and in other cultures. In Central Asia, it might be 15 people who show up, right? And they may be only Christians for 100 miles. So they may not need the same membership process we have. They know the 15 people who show up, that's the church. And if somebody goes AWOL, they, they, they check in on them because they know you're showing up, you're part of this congregation, right? Does that make sense? So for them, it may be a process that looks different. But this is how we attempt to stir each other up in faith and to follow Jesus together in our cultural context. Now, maybe I haven't convinced you about church membership in the local church. Maybe, maybe you totally get it. Um, yeah, as a Christian, we are part of the universal church, but maybe uh, the scriptures that we looked at, maybe that hasn't fully convinced you. And I'll let you stew on that for a moment. Well, I would say this to you if that's the case. Christian maturity is understanding the difference between primary and secondary issues. And I recognize that there are godly people who disagree with me and our elders on this issue. So would I go to jail for my belief in how we do church membership and orphan my kids, right, to stand on that one? Probably not, okay? But I would for the truth of the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 4 says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that is the rock on which we stand. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the gift you've given us as believers of membership in your universal church. We thank you that Throughout this day, uh, even some who have entered the new year already gather to worship you in homes, under trees, 
in ancient buildings, in new buildings, uh, under tin roofs, um, within beautiful stone buildings with stained glass windows. Lord, we, we, we come and gather as one body to worship the risen Savior. And we thank you for the confession of our faith on which your church is built. But Lord, we thank you for the gift of the local church as well. I thank you for the gift of Rocky Bayou Baptist Church, a place where we can come and we can not only listen and, and sing and hear, but where we can encourage, where we can serve, where we can minister. And Lord, I pray that in 2024, Lord, that membership would matter to our congregation. Lord, that, that those who joined many years ago would be, uh, their, their, their passion would be renewed to be members who minister to others. Lord, for those who might be even sitting on the fence trying to determine if it's your will for them to join our local church, Lord, I pray that you would move and work and lead them. And if it's your will, Lord, that they would come and join us and that they would help us to be more like Christ. And Lord, we, we thank you for a great Savior. Help us to follow him with all of our hearts this new year. I pray in his name. Amen.